Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you have a relationship with Jesus, then you probably have referred to your love for Christ a time or two. That's exactly what he expects, and he returns that love as blessings in your life. So how do you feel about your local church or God's church internationally? Have you ever criticized other churches while boasting about events at the church you attend? Today, Pastor Jim puts this into perspective with a simple but powerful analogy. The church, God's church, is his bride whom he loves. So let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelation chapter two as he continues his message, Where is the Love? No matter how long you have been a follower of Jesus, some of you are brand new. Some of you have been followers of Jesus a long time. A true faith is seen in love for God and love for others now. Now. Not 10 years ago. Not 15 years ago. Not in my case, 35 years ago. I became a Christian when I was seven. None of you believe that I'm 42? <laughs> but how important it is that we ask ourselves, how is my love for God now? How is my love for people now? This is the question I constantly ask myself. Am I growing or am I slowing? Because I'm, uh, there's, I don't really even think it's possible for me to remain in neutral. I think I'm either moving forward or I'm moving backwards. And the only way I move forward is what? Is, is to put my affections upon Jesus Christ. To look at that cross and go, that should have been me. That should have been me. And draw my affections, my heart to Jesus. That's the only way I, that I know how to do it. And so we want to be constantly assessing ourselves. You see, if your love for God and for people is fading, you may find yourself in for a long, tough ride. It can be very, very difficult. And when you are continually just obeying God out of duty instead of love, that's gonna be really hard to maintain. That's a hard thing to stay at year after year after year. Jesus predicted this before his return. He said this, Matthew 24, 12, and because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When you are not obeying God, it is hard for you to carry the love of God with you. You can fake it. You can be very tolerant of a lot of people, but you can't hold that balance between what is loving the way Jesus loves and being able to help others and to live for him. So here's two important spiritual soul-searching questions to ask ourselves. Do you love Jesus more now than you did in the past? Now, for those of you new believers, you're like, well, of course, two weeks ago, I hated him. <laughs> right? But those of you who've been believers a while, do you love him more now than you did in the past? Now, that's not that easy. I remember when I first became a Christian, man, I just, everybody I met, I'm telling them about Jesus. I thought, like, all of a sudden, I could see. I thought the whole world was Christian and God was just waiting for me to get on board with the program. And so you gotta ask yourself though, do I love Jesus more than I used to? And by the same token, do you love 
the church more than you used to? Or is it kind of like, well, you know, I'm really not sure. About 15 years ago, there was a poll. And the poll was for sold-out Christians. So what's a sold-out Christian? Well, back then, they were polling people who went to church virtually every single week. Now, you talk to most pastors today, and they go like, it seems like it's a different congregation every Sunday. You know, people, we're busy people. You know, it's all the fault of cars out in the suburbs, right? You know, cars take you to church, but cars take you away from church, right? And so, so you have these people who go to church every week. They're considered part of the sold-out crowd. There were also people who volunteered to serve in their church. They're part of the sold-out crowd. They're people who gave money to the church. They're part of the sold-out crowd. So they took this poll of these sold-out people, and they asked them why they went to church, and they gave them a whole long list of choices. And one of the choices was this, because I love Jesus. That was one of the choices. Take a guess how many people that was their answer. 11%. That means nine out of 10 people said, I go to a church for a different reason other than I love Jesus. I don't know what they go for. I mean, I know some of you come here for the coffee, but I mean, it's you know, like, what are you doing? Some people said it was for duty, obligation. Everybody needs to push in. This is the way I was raised. I want a tax deduction. There's all different kinds of things. But this is, these are the sold out people. What in the world is that? Perhaps the biggest danger of all is thinking that this doesn't apply to you or this doesn't apply to me or this doesn't apply to our church. You know what this is, Jesus said? These are blind Pharisees leading people into a ditch, not even realizing they're walking into it themselves. The Bible teaches that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus said he died for the church And there's a lot of people out there that say that I live for Jesus and I love Jesus, yet they hate Jesus' wife. They hate his bride. So sometimes you, you get invited to parties, right? So let's just say you just sent me an email that said, um, we're having a party. Some of the couples from the church are coming over. Some singles from the church are coming over. Some of the kids are coming from the church are coming over. Pastor Jim, we'd love to have you to come. Just one thing, don't bring Pam. Now, some of you would go, that would never happen. Pam would get the email that would say, don't bring Jim. <laughs> right? But anyway, you would say, please RSVP. It would immediately go back, not coming. Not coming. Right? Because... We go together. We're a package. Jesus says, don't tell me you love me and you don't love my bride. Don't tell me you don't love me and you don't love my church. Perhaps the Ephesian church had lost their zeal for evangelistic outreach. Perhaps they had lost their their desire to help a lost and hurting world. Do you know what they are at that point in time? They're a club. They're a club. If we want to come here and we want to learn about Jesus, but we don't want to love each other, it's a club. Or we don't want to love a lost and hurting world, it's a club. That's all it is. Many of us know people 
that if you've probably met people over the years, they pride themselves in their love of knowledge. They just want to look smart to other people more than they want to love God or they want to love people. This constant studying of the word of God, which is a, a, a distinct of the, the Calvary Chapel movement, okay, is to get us to have more affection for God, is to get us to love God more, is to get us to see our need for God. So how can that be? How can, how can people love knowledge more than they love God? How can they love looking smart more than they love God? And it comes down to this. What the heart wants, the heart pursues. True? That is the truth. What you, what you are pursuing the most in your life is what you love the most. Our affections drive our actions. That's why I said to you that the only way for me to stay at this thing is to keep turning my affections towards Jesus. I am much more concerned about my affections being towards Jesus than I am about all the different Bible stuff that I know. When I sit down to study the Bible, I'm like, Lord, turn my affections to you. I don't want to be like this Ephesian church. I love the fact that they're taught well. I love the fact that they know a lot of Bible. I love the fact that they're doing things well, but I don't like the fact that Jesus says, you know, you guys really left your first love. You really don't love like you used to. Until the people of God gain a passion for Jesus and desire a Jesus-style love for people that's found in the word of God, we will not make a dent in this culture. Not a dent. Because here's the problem we have right now. The stuff that is, let's say, anti-Christian in this culture, they are much more passionate about their cause than we are about ours. And that is not good. That is not good. Like the Ephesians, we may grow in knowledge, but not in love. And if we grow in knowledge, but not in love, the kingdom of God on earth will not grow. The apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge puffs up but love builds people up. So you say, well, how do I fix it? How do we fix it? That takes us to number four, the correction. The correction. Let's start with the first half of verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Let's just stop there for one second. Jesus tells them, okay, this is who I am. I'm holding, your ch I'm holding the church. In my hand, I'm walking around the church. Then he says, hey, this is what I like about your church. Then he tells them, this is what I don't like about your church. And now he's going to correct them, but he doesn't just tell them what's wrong. He gives them the solution. And if you're taking notes, you just want to write down three R's of this correction. Number one, he says, remember. Remember. Keep on remembering what it used to be like for you. Remember what it used to be like, your love for Jesus and your love for people. And ask yourself, what have you lost? Is it not the same as it used to be? 
The verb tense of from where you have fallen carries the ideas, you know, guys, he's telling the Ephesian church, this has been going on for a while. This didn't happen last week. This has been going on for a while, and he's telling them, this must change. If you want to reach your full redemptive potential, Ephesian church, if you want to be everything that God has for you to be, if we want to be everything God has for us to be, he says, okay, this must change. So after he says, remember, the second R is repent. Admit that you were wrong. Admit that you forgot. Admit that you became indifferent to so many different things. And that what has happened? Other things in your life got in the way. And when other things got in the way, this is what happened. You lost the fire. The fire for Christ. The fire for your faith. The fire for reaching people. The fire for loving people just began to go out and go out, and go out, and it was a slow, slow, slow thing. And it's time to throw some more logs on the fire. And the third R is not in the text, but it's really there. It's return. Do the first works. You see, a lot of people will think, well, I repented. I changed my mind. I told God I was sorry. I repented. Repentance without change is just feeling sorry. That's all it is. He says, you got to do something about this. What does he say? Return to your first love. Return to your first love. So what happens if we don't fix this? Well, there's consequences. That's number five, the consequences. Now, the consequences are both negative and positive. So he starts with the negative. He says, or else I will come to you quickly. In other words, he's going to come back to the church and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to do something to you that churches actually did years ago. You just don't hear it happening anymore. What is he going to do? He says, I'm going to declare you a non-church. Like, what in the world is a non-church? Let me give you an example. That's when you say you declare a church is a fake So let's say we had a guy at this church. Always pick on the guys. It's easier, right? So we had a guy in this church, and he's going around asking every girl in the church out. Married, unmarried, he don't care. He's asking everything out. We yank him in. We're like, hey, you need to stop or you need to leave, but you need to apologize to every woman that you've made feel very uncomfortable. And he goes, the heck with you. I ain't doing that. A church down the street will take me. All I got to do is walk in the first couple weeks, open my checkbook. They'll be glad to have me. So they go to the church down the street. Well, back in the old days, you know what would happen? I would get a call from the pastor. Hey, does this guy have any unfinished business? I'd go, you better believe he does. And then you know what they would say to the guy? You're not welcome here till you go back to that church and you fix the unfinished business. You think that happens anymore? That don't happen anymore at all anymore. And what happened would be when they would, you wouldn't do that, they would declare you a non-church. Some of you know that we were here a few weeks, actually, and 50 people came from another church. That was more people we had than attending our church at the beginning. And they came, and they were bad-mouthing their pastor. They had all this stuff, and I said, you're not welcome here. Until you go back and discuss this with your pastor, I'll go with you if you want. You are not welcome in this church. And they all said to me, you're not going to last. 
And I said, fine, never seen them again. And here we are 18 years later, okay? But I don't want to be that guy. Never wanted to be that guy. I know that's the way you're supposed to grow a church, steal a bunch of people from another church and call yourself a church. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, Paul said, I didn't want to build my church on another man's foundation, right? Apparently some people bought a Bible without that verse in it. But so he says, you, you have to repent. So for many churches, what happens? Many churches, if they don't repent, they just die off and disappear. And it really seems to me to mean a church without the love of Jesus is already dead. The light's already out. It's already gone. Now, you might push back on me and say, well, well, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yes, the true church. But that doesn't mean individual congregations. Sometimes churches die off in countries. Sometimes churches die off in continents. Europe. Sometimes really good churches actually close for various reasons. Jesus said he is the light of the world and a church or an individual Christian that does not love Jesus in the church is not a light to the world. It's not. It's so important to see that the continued existence of our church depends on our loving Jesus and loving one another and growing in both of those things. So important. But again, it's not this lovey-dovey thing. It's living out the word of God. And if we don't, what does Jesus say? I'll come and shut the lights off. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, so many churches go on for years with the lights on and the ceiling, but not the light of Christ. But not the light of Christ. Not the light of truth. Now, other people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I know about this really bad church and they really seem to be doing great. They're thriving. Well, how, how do you explain that? Well, just because a church has a lot of people or a lot of great things going on doesn't mean that they're great in God's eyes. And sometimes I think that bad churches are part of the judgment of God upon a nation. So from the negative consequence, we move to the positive one in verse six. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know much about these people, but it does appear based on everything that we've heard that the Bible teaching was strong in that church and it protected the Ephesian church from these people. I think Jesus is saying in verse six, this is good. You've not given into the compromises of the culture and perhaps of, of the church. Well, what were they doing that was so wrong? Well, he, the only hint we get here, he says, the deeds. Something that they were doing was very wrong. And this is where we have to be very careful, very careful, that today in the church, people, and the worst offenders are pastors, hide sin behind the word grace. Because grace to only them is you're just, God will forgive you. Doesn't matter how you live your life. Now, there's tons of commands in the Bible, tons. But they're like, it doesn't matter. But there's so many different kinds of grace in the Bible. Titus says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. There's transforming grace, where God is transforming all of us to be more into the image of Christ. And so these things, and the funny thing is that sinners love Jesus. 
Why? Because he knew how to talk to them. And until we understand how Jesus talks to sinners, we're not going to know how to talk to them. But notice Jesus commends them for what they hate. You hate the deeds of the darkness, but he doesn't commend them for hating the people of the darkness. You hate the deeds of the darkness. Verse seven ends on a positive note with a glorious promise. He who has an ear, and then here's the command, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And here's the promise, to him who overcomes, or some versions say to him who is victorious, that's actually a form of the word Nike, so those of you wearing Nike, that could be you. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Jesus says, if you return to me, if we as a church love Jesus and one another with all of our heart, he says, you can be a victorious follower of Jesus. You can be a victorious church. Now, we all know this. Some people are going to hear stuff like this, and they are going to pursue God. They're going to seek to have their affections drawn to God. They're going to seek to obey God. Others will not. But the others, the ones that will hear and do, will overcome. And it's very interesting, that is not just in the end you will overcome, that is a word of continuousness. You will be overcoming today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after that. And for sure, such people will enter paradise, the kingdom of heaven, having loved Jesus and not every day giving into their excuses for their behavior. Such true followers of Jesus will eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And this is the question that every one of us has to answer today. Will you be there? Will you be there in the paradise of God in the next life? You see, the church's anticipated victory, the Christian's anticipated victory is based in Jesus' victory, his cross and resurrection. And a verse we come back to over and over again, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we get to heaven. Jesus said you have to repent and believe. Repent, turn. You have to turn to God. And believe, put your trust in Jesus Christ. And then what do we do? We go out and live this life, not to perfection, but we become more and more like Christ each day. And if you've never put your trust in Christ, you can today. Come up front, pray with someone, or take a moment as we're in your seat there and just say, Lord, I I want to be in paradise with you. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want you. A true church must pass the truth test in the midst of a truth-shaving church in America. If we want to be a true church, we must teach the truth. We must speak the truth. We must defend the truth in love. If we don't, we will not be a spiritually healthy church. We will find ourselves on that slow slope of decline. And I don't think you would come to this church if that's what you wanted. But that truth must go deep into our hearts because that's the only way we'll pass the love test. 
You see, what is he telling the Ephesian church? You passed the truth test, flying colors, but you didn't pass the love test. And so we want to pass both tests. Do we love Jesus and do we love those around us? Are we caring and compassionate? Are we wanting the best for one another and for the world? My prayer for us are Jesus' words from verse 7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we listen and as we apply what the Lord says to these seven churches, I am excited, yes, even in the summer, when most people kind of take off from their faith to see what the Lord will do. And for today, my heart's desire, and I pray it would be your heart's desire, is that Jesus would never say about Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, hey guys, where is the love? We never, ever want him to say that about us. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.